Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. A few years back, we did some behind-the-scenes episodes where we interviewed some names around the Kings that weren't players and weren't in the front office. People that have a huge impact on your fan experience that you may not fully appreciate or even sometimes even know about. We got some fantastic stories out of those episodes, and if you haven't heard them for whatever reason, I would highly recommend going back and finding them and giving them a listen. If you don't know how or you can't find them, go ahead and reach out to me. I'll point you in the right direction. We've been having a blast this summer talking to people like Mark Yannetti and Jared Stoll, and believe me, there are more episodes like that coming just around the corner. But I also wanted to revisit that behind-the-scenes series and try and bring you guys inside the personalities that have so much influence on what you experience as Kings fans. First up, a man I deeply respect for not only his work ethic and his commitment to his job, but also for his ability to speak plainly and honestly. Alex Faust. Joining me now for a look behind the scenes of how your LA Kings operate, play-by-play announcer Alex Faust. How are you doing today, Alex? I'm good, Jesse. Thanks for having me on. And joining us, Zach Dooley. How are you doing today, Zach? Jesse, doing great. I'm really looking forward to this interview, personally. Oh, nice. We're gonna we're yeah, gonna find love out play the by real play broadcasting. The real Alex Faust. Uh, <laughs> Alex, let's just start off now. You and I. Actually, I'm going to interrupt myself. When you first took the gig. Um, you and I spoke and I think you had either just completed or were just about to start your cross country drive with your dad. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we covered some of the stuff we're going to talk about today. So, you know, apologies for that, but what's your like earliest memory of loving sports? Uh, you know, it's actually, uh, kind of funny. I, uh, I grew up a big baseball fan. Um, and it was right in the middle of the Yankees dynasty. But one of the things that always stuck out to me, it wasn't the 1996 World Series. Uh, it was actually the year after, uh, if I have it correct in, in my memory, of uh, the Toms River, New Jersey Little League team. And <laughs> okay. the, the Little League World Series that year. And I, I you know, uh, this is right when I'm, you know, playing travel baseball um or at least local baseball and uh you know i've been thinking to myself oh that's pretty darn cool and it's a, you know big stage and um you know there's the magic and the pageantry of a big sporting event on network television uh and these kids got to be front and center on it um but that only you know was was part of you know me growing up a, a big baseball fan and you know zach can attest to this because he grew up same era with the same uh yankees teams um, you know, just the, the magic of being on the big stage and, uh, you know, seeing how, um, you know, even watching on TV, how do they cover the big moment? Uh, that, that was always 
fun to me. But uh, yeah, that, that those are probably the memories that stand out from my childhood and watching sports. What position did you play? Uh, I was a middle infielder, uh, and, and I tried pitching, and it just wasn't for me. And uh, but, but but my arm was good enough, and they didn't quite know what to do with me, so they stuck me in the outfield for my last couple of years. Uh, but I, I wasn't probably all that great of value. My, my wins above replacement, not very good. I was a spray hitter. I didn't really uh, go for extra bases much. Uh, so uh, my, my baseball career did not last very long. That was what they told all the kids that they stuck in the outfield. Oh, your arm's really good, so we got to have you where you can throw the ball. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> which is code for, ah, oh, you're not really good at the other stuff. <laughs> stick you where you don't have to run anywhere. I don't know if you were the same way, Fausti, but when I grew up watching those Yankee teams, it was my first, my first sports memory was the 98 World Series. And I just thought that the Yankees won every year. Like that yep. was my yep. thing. They won three straight. So I was just like, oh, this is cool. I love this team. They just win all the time. Mm-hmm. They were very charismatic. They had, uh, you know, characters of, of you know, different kinds. Um, it, it was just, it was a fun time to be a baseball fan in New York. So I'm not going to pretend that it doesn't gall me that suddenly our office has been uh, infiltrated by you upstate New Yorkers. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know Jared Shafford is not from upstate New York, but just the same. Uh, So for anybody listening who's used to the Chick Hearns, the Bob Millers, um, the uh, oh, my God, I'm blanking on his name. Apologies. The Dodgers broadcast, Vin Scully. um, Right. Everybody in Southern California grew up knowing those voices. So, Alex, who was like your chick hearn your bob miller your uh vin scully uh it's interesting you know i didn't really have one um i think at that era you know nbc had a good chunk of the baseball rights and bob costas was you know the preeminent play-by-play guy i think joe buck was coming in you know, into his own with fox it was his first couple of years doing the world series with them but i always admired bob costas and his style um you know that he was so well researched and um, you know, wasn't afraid to call something out uh, as he saw it. Um, it, get, it went beyond sports a little bit. And then hockey in that era, right? It was in a lot of ways, um, you know, for, for millennials, this was the, their golden era of, of hockey on TV. Um, when you had Gary Thorne and Bill Clement as the A crew on ABC Sports and ESPN. Uh, and that's who I really took after, um, you know, in terms of hockey broadcasting. I always loved Gary Thorne's style and just how he got up for a big moment. Uh, so th- those are probably the guys uh, growing up that I, um, you know, would would admire uh, in terms of work. I'm your profession is part of the industry that I still. And I'm not sure I ever will understand um, because I've had this conversation with <clears throat> my dad, with tons of people where we all we look at a sporting event and we go, it's crazy that we have a narrator for something that we're all watching. Right. Like theoretically, we shouldn't need a play by play announcer. I'm watching the game. When I go to the games live, I don't have a play by play announcer. I follow along just fine. And yet when I try to watch a game without a play by play announcer, it's terrible. Um, drives me nuts. I can't do it. And when I hear people who say that they'll, you know, mute a Ducks broadcast or some team that they don't like the announcers on, I don't get it. I'd rather listen to a terrible play-by-play announcer than no play-by-play announcer. Um, do you have 
I don't even know the phrase I want to use here. Do you have a a standard of protocol? No, that's not the word. Do you, when you're calling a game, are you aware of that bizarre quality of the job you're doing, I guess? A little bit. I think our job, it goes back to the earliest form of radio broadcasting in the 1920s and 1930s or even beyond that of, of newspaper reporting, like you're there to report on the game. And in that era, and, you know, I'm talking, um, you know, guys like Red Barber, um, who was among the first preeminent broadcasters, the history of the medium is you are there to be the uh, observer of everything that's going on. And that might go beyond what you can pick up based on the camera that's showing you the action or the multitude of cameras that a TV truck has at their disposal, or graphics. You're there to pick up on the atmosphere. You're there to pick up on uh, you know, how it feels to be in that environment and to convey the emotion of the moment and what it means. You, know, you go back and watch old-timey boxing reels or old-timey baseball clips, and that was as much about... Um, the, the job of, of the announcer was to, oh, and the crowd goes wild, and oh, what a scene. Oh. Obviously, it's changed over time, but but if we're digging to the, to the very fundamental of what we're trying to do, it's to transport you from your couch to the best seats in the house in person. And although it is a little bit funny that it, it takes a narrator to do that, it's just adding another dimension to what you're watching. And I'd like to think to your point about, you know, whether an announcer is good or bad or whether you watch the game on mute. I mean, plenty of people watch games on mute or they say they do. I don't know if I believe it necessarily. <laughs> um, but I, I think our job is to just retain your attention. Um, there are very few announcers ever. Um, probably Vin Scully would be one of them who you would tune into a game that you were otherwise uninterested in watching just to hear the announcer, just to hear their storytelling. Otherwise, our job is to just keep your attention, to keep you from flipping the channel to something else. Uh, or put crudely, uh, our job is to fill the space between the commercial breaks. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You want to be really specific <laughs> yeah. about No, it. that is, yeah. Uh, but like, so that's that's how I view our job. And, and every time that... Um, you know, we, we get fed suggestions or we try to, dr you know, drum up ideas of, oh, you know, this is something to get people to tune into the game. The bottom line is, unless your, your you know, commentary team is enjoyable enough uh, and, and the game that you're watching is an enjoyable enough watch, um, and sometimes it's a combination of the two. Sometimes there's one that's independent of the other. Um, you know, our job is to retain your viewership over the course of a two and a half hour window, which is hard in the year 2022. I think people saying I'm going to mute the broadcast is the same as people saying, oh, I'm going to move to Canada when the candidate in the election. I <laughs> exactly. Like, it. like yeah. no, everyone says it on social and no one ever does it. Like yeah. there's no way it exactly. actually happens. Right. Um, Fauci, what was your first play-by-play -play broadcast and how did it Ooh. go? Do you remember it? Uh, yeah, I mean, the first one I ever did, um, was at Northeastern, uh, in college. Gosh, I'm trying to think if it was, I think it was a baseball broadcast. It would have made sense. Um, 
And we were calling it from the outfield and it was just a weird angle to be doing baseball from because you can't really pick up on how deep any fly ball is or whether a bo- whether something's a ball or a strike except <laughs> if the umpire's calling it or what kind of pitch is got. I mean, but, you know, freshman year in college, I'm not necessarily thinking uh, about, uh, oh, this needs to be, uh, a, you know, put on my Emmy reel. Um, you're, you're just trying to do the best job possible and you're trying to learn. And I, I think sometimes I, when I see emails come in from collegiate broadcasters, you know, it's easy to forget when you're in that moment, you're actually, your job is to learn and to get better and to, uh, to, to get reps at it. And I'm sure it is cringe city. If I went back and listened to any of that, uh, especially <laughs> my early hockey work, um, although some might argue that it's still cringeworthy today, but, uh, it's, uh, like, I, it's, it's fun to look back on that and think about just how much goes into preparation today and thinking of how much I had to learn to get to this moment now. There's obviously a huge difference between calling every individual sport. And I would imagine that different personalities lend themselves better to different sports. One instant red flag for me, whenever somebody tells me that I'm going to enjoy somebody's company or enjoy them in general, is if they tell me what a great storyteller someone is. I hate storytellers. I'm not interested in sitting silently while somebody regales me with what they think are hilarious tales from their like past. Like I'm not, no thanks. Um, but baseball announcers almost universally get hailed for their storytelling ability. Mm-hmm. Um, how much storytelling do you get to do in different sports compared to base? Like baseball seems like it's tailor made for raconteurs. Oh, for sure. Just, just a nice way of saying <laughs> boring people who try not to uh well it depends on the game right i mean um but part of it too is the tradition um you know joe davis taking over the dodgers job fans came to expect that if you're going to be in that role there is going to be a much heavier storytelling component if you watch a uh a yankee game or red sox game Probably less so. There's a little bit more than nuts and bolts involved and just the uh, baseball uh, strategy. Um, you know, I think the same is true for hockey, um, although there's a lot less time to work with. And so you really have to be careful. Uh, and it's something that I've had to learn um, as I've gone, you know, just the pace of play. Like I could get away with a lot more when I was doing college hockey and even in the AHL. And then the pace of play here is so fast in the NHL, you don't have time. Um, and if you think you do and you get caught, it's a bad look. So I, if you had to rank them, baseball for sure, number one. Football, uh, sometimes you have time uh, in dead, you know, when, when there's a dead ball. Basketball, certainly when, when there's a whistle and there are free throws, you can dive into it a little bit. Um, and then hockey, obviously, is is way at the bottom uh, because there's constant action. That's actually why I love calling hockey more than any other sport. Um, you know, much as we're waxing poetic about baseball here, uh, it's just the summer. But I, I love that there's constant action. I love that there's no time to blink 
if you're a fan, you blink, you miss it. Uh, you go to the concession stand, you miss it. Um, you have to be in your seats. When you're at a hockey game, you can't get up in the middle of a period because why I love this sport uh, more so than any other I've done. Bad calls, dirty slashing. We expect a little bull on the ice. But you know when we can't stand it? When we're tracking packages. Looking up tracking numbers, shipping statuses that never get updated. We call bullship. So we got route. It's the free app that tracks everything you order online in one place. Route sends us real-time tracking updates, or we can pop into the app to see where our stuff is on an actual map. Download the Route app in the App Store or Google Play, or head to route.com to learn more. No bullshit, just great tracking. I think the hardest thing would be for me doing a basketball game in November, when I haven't done one in about four or five months, just coming off, you know, a month and a half of doing hockey, or actually more than five months, would have been like eight to 10 months of doing a basketball game, right? Because the last game would have been March. So that's where it's hard for me. Once I get one under my belt, okay, then I can do another one. Same like when I, when I restarted doing baseball over at Fox this summer, I hadn't done one since last summer and baseball is such a, a rhythm oriented uh, medium that like <laughs> you really have to work your way back into it. Uh, it's actually quite the benefit we have doing preseason hockey. I can ease into it and not have to worry so much about being in mid-season form, you know, come early October uh, when we, you know, get our first taste of it on TV. But uh, yeah, it's, I'd say it's, it's more challenging after a long layoff. Switching between the two isn't so bad, uh, especially, you know, like covering the Kings, you know, the, the, the main characters, we know who they all are. We know what's going on with the team because we follow them week after week. If I had to bounce from team, uh, let's say, uh, you know, sport like football, where I didn't know the two teams coming into the weekend and then do a hockey game with two teams that I had no clue about, then I might be a little bit more uh, tentative or a little bit more um, off guard in certain moments. But, um, you know, I, I think once you're into a rhythm, especially if you have, you know, a couple of years under your belt of doing reps, it's not so bad. Let's uh, dive deeper into that notion of preparation. You uh, will occasionally put out on social media, I believe you call them boards, which mm -hmm. is uh, appears to be one piece of paper for each team that you're about to call when it's a Kings game, for example, and you've got separated into forwards, defense, and goalies, I think, if I remember correctly. No, I actually just do them all in numerical order. Oh, okay. Um, all right. And, and the reason for that is quick recall. So especially for uh, the opposing team, last year was really – important you know, with all the changes mid-season with COVID impacting each roster. Sometimes like we played, I think it was Washington at home uh, in December or, or something like that. And I, I was thinking, well, we haven't called a, a Capitals game in like two years. They've got a whole bunch of guys out. So they got a whole bunch of AHL players that I have no idea who these guys are. And, you know, like I'm supposed to have these names and numbers memorized. And, you know, sometimes it's easier than not, but, um, <laughs> I, I will admit there, there's sometimes where I struggle with, hey, who's that guy again? Like, I haven't seen him before. I don't know how he skates. I don't know what, what number is 58. Uh, so sometimes it's a little bit more challenging, but that's why I, I like having it. Even for every other sport I do, I like to have it in numerical order because if you look down and look back up, you'll miss something, especially in hockey. 
when somebody gives me a phone number that I need to remember five minutes from now, you know, if I'm sitting on one side of the room and I say to somebody, you know, someone is about to read me a number on a phone call and I go, hey, remember this. And I say it out and somebody can repeat it back. That number is not getting stored in anybody's brain. That number's gone <laughs> five minutes later. Is that the kind of uh, engagement you're getting with your memory when you're looking at a roster sheet for like the Capitals, you know, tonight? You need to know who number 58 is tonight, but tomorrow morning you don't ever have to know that information again. Yeah. Presumably, you know, if I spit you a number, you could tell me who it was on the Kings, right? Like those numbers. Oh, yeah. For Kings, easily. Yeah. I, I think for an opposing team, I could give you most of them. Like if, if I'm watching on, on mute, let's say, if I'm watching uh, a, a hockey game, for most teams in the NHL now, I mean, my first two years, it was, was you know, a struggle to try to get to know the whole league because you're not just covering the Kings, you're covering the whole league. Um, so it was a bit of a struggle to get to know each and every team. Um, but now, you know, even with all the moves from free agency, for the most part, guys keep the same number. Um, so, you know, if I, if I were to call a Kings Capitals game today, I'd have a much better idea of even those AHL guys. Like if I saw the number, Oh, yeah, I remember who it is. But if you were to ask me who number, I don't know, like who, who a random number is on the Capitals, uh, I probably would get like the, the star players, the regular guys. I wouldn't be able to get your, you know, fourth liner or AHL type. It's like when you're in college, like I'd cram for a test and it's like I could yeah. take that test at 8 a.m. because I stayed up all night studying. But if you asked me to take it the next day at 8 a.m., oh, yeah. I wouldn't retain the majority of the information that I yeah. spent so much time learning. Totally. But it's like totally. fresh in mind. That's now, well, and and the thing that I always say to other you know the broadcasters uh, who are lo- like asking like, well, how do you memorize for hockey? And it's like, okay, you try to memorize you know ninety five percent of names numbers, and if you have that down, okay, you got most of it. But it's an open book test at the end of the day, and this goes for all the the you know research material as well. I have it all in front of me, but I should know it and not have to look at it. I should know what all the key storylines are and not have to reference it. Uh, I think that's a key even for, you know, when, when you're doing your standups uh, to open a show. Um, you know, when we're there in front of the camera, I might have notes down below or in hand, but I, you know, I, it would look awful if I had to go read them while I'm on camera. Like I need to know the material going into any show that we do. How has your prep evolved from your first games in Utica when you were working in the AHL to where you're at now? You know, what have you learned along the way? And is there anyone, you know, maybe you've worked with or you've seen things they do? You're like, oh, that's cool. That's going to help me. I'm going to work that into what I do now. I think it looks a little bit like a bell curve because when I was in Utica, you know, the amount of information you have on, on players in the AHL is far lower than what you'd have in the NHL. You have draft information. You, you will have, you know, historical stats. But it's not nearly what you have in terms of um, newspaper clippings or um, any sort of other deep dive into each player. When I first started in the NHL, we had this steep upslope of I need to devour everything on every player so that I know the backstory in every single player. And then you realize you don't have time for any of that. So it started the downslope. And also because you get to know the league and you get to hear stories offhand that just you know get retained in memory. Or, or you write down for, for later use. Um, so I, I'd say, you know, I'm on the, you know, the downslope of that now where I could probably tell you a story offhand of a player, uh, and deliver it far more concisely than I would first time around because, 
um, you know, it's just more committed to memory and I don't need the other fluff. We can just get to the point, but that comes with time that comes with experience and, uh, hopefully comes with repetition. You know where Mike Nieto's from though, right? From Long Beach. Of ah, course. There you go. Of course. Right. Do you know what his first name is, Jesse? Mike? No, you know, no yeah, exactly. I don't. It's Matt Nieto. Matt Nieto. Matt Nieto. I'm sorry. You're I right. I was actually Mike. just refreshing. Mike. I grew up in Long Beach, and Mike Nieto is my friend that I grew up oh, with in go. Long Beach. That's why I'm sorry, Mike. <laughs> I actually just redid my uh, Sharks board uh, for the coming year. I, I finished up with uh, the Kings for our coming season because I assume we're not, um, you know, gonna. And if, even if we do make uh, you know any more moves going into the spring, I think we're pretty much set. And so now I'm starting on each team in the division, and then I'll go the rest of the Western Conference, and then I'll go the rest of the Eastern Conference, so that I have everything. Um, pretty much a, as far as a skeleton for each team going into the year. Um, and that way it's just, you know, when we show up, we're more diving into the, uh, the, the hockey stuff and not, you know, what happened in the off season, where the guy get traded from, you know, what did he, what, what deal did he sign? That sort of thing. Sorry. Now I'm obsessed with me replacing Matt for Mike and uh, <laughs> I'm down my veil. Uh, Alex, every game, the teams make available uh, like a series of notes, game notes. And mm-hmm. it's absurdly thick and it's so much information. I got one right here. Yeah. It's too much information to be almost too much to be useful. Like you'd have to know where to go to find what you're looking for. How long did it take you to become f- comfortable with that thick packet of information to where you can, in preparation for a game, go, all right, I know, I may not know what the information I need is, but I know where to find it to, to cut off all the parts that aren't interesting. I think that's a perfect way to put it because my first two years, right? We're thinking of that bell curve and trying to devour all that information. I'm reading the game notes page by page. Okay. What's new here? What's How new long there? would it take to go through the whole thing? It's so much information. I mean, you, could, you could do it. You could do it in an afternoon. It's not, it's not so bad. <laughs> um, so it take you a long you know, time. Yeah. It, it'll it'll really, take you a couple yeah. hours to, to get through everything, but like it, you can get through it. And now when I show up to a game, okay, like you said, I know where everything is. So if I don't care about a certain thing, then I'm not going to look at it. But, you know, a page when I'm going in my preparation that I'm using a lot now, I won't use, let's say, the season statistics on each player. I I have, you know, the top sheet of the game notes has that. Um, The NHL, they've done a great job with summarizing so much. Um, you know, they'll have each team, what they do in special teams, what they do in situational, like how many five on five goals, six on five. So I might not look at that page, let's say, uh, how many six on five goals a team has. I might not even look at that page until we get to five minutes to go third period. And I'm just going to flip it open to that page. All right. How many do they have this year? Oh, zero. Okay. So that would be their first one this year. So I'll keep that in my back pocket. Um, I might not look at, uh, you know, what each individual player's career high is. Uh, so I'm looking here. I just, for whatever reason, had the Carolina Hurricanes packet open. And Jordan Stahl, uh, well, season high in goals was uh, one. He did it twice. Okay, that's not going to help me in game 27. Like, that's kind of useless. Um, but I'm if I were to look and see, okay, what's his career high? Oh, Maybe I'll, I'll entertain that if he scores a second goal. Has he ever scored a hat trick? I'll open up hockey reference and, and see if that's the case. So, again, it's use it when you need it as opposed to trying to devour everything in advance and being a little bit um, underwater, <laughs> overwhelmed with everything. Uh, and now it's just 
finding more pertinent information that's more useful for our purposes. I remember when I when I worked in the AHL, I was responsible for producing the game notes. Mm-hmm. And then our broadcaster there at the time was, was Cameron Close. And he would say, mm-hmm. like, like, don't print me a full packet. He just says, give me the the pages you used to to get stapled. He's like, I only need pages two, five, seven, nine, eleven, exactly. fifteen. Like he knew like exactly which pages yep. he needed every game to update his stuff. And he's like, yep. the rest of it's just like what you're saying. It's just like fluff. Yep. Exactly. And and I'm sure it's useful for somebody and that's why they're produced this way. And that's why, um, you know, teams around the league, you know, should put a, an emphasis on producing these things because when you, when a question comes up or when a situation arises, you don't want to then have to react all this. And it, from the game notes, from a PR perspective, all that is advanced preparation for your team's PR department as well. Um, because if a question comes up, you can have the answer quickly uh, and that then helps the media covering your team to be able to get that information quickly so th- these are important not just for broadcasters but for any print media as well um, you know to be able to, to write a story on deadline that I think is the secret of any performance and it's one of the reasons that I don't particularly care about live music I know I'm a lunatic for saying that but the secret about performance is that it takes hours and hours and hours and hours of prep to mm-hmm. be able to look like you're just winging it, <laughs> you know, um, right. Whether it's writing, broadcasting, stand-up comedy, live music, uh, improv, you know, freestyling rap, whatever, like <laughs> anytime somebody stands up there and looks really impressive as if they're pulling something straight off to the top of their head, what you're not seeing is the, hours and days and weeks and months of practice that went into being able to pull that off. So do you still practice? Like if, if we're here in the middle of the summer, will you pull up a YouTube clip, you know, mute it and try and do a play by play for a game that you weren't calling or something? No, but I will watch back. I'm actually in the process of watching back our entire season from last year, just one day at a time, uh, one game at a time. I'm not going to, you know, intently look at, I have it on in the background. And if a situation comes up that uh, is interesting in the game that, uh, you know, might just be a technical thing that I need to work on, okay, I'll flag that and say, okay, I can do better in that situation. Um, or that's, a, that's, you know, one way to approach this. Maybe there's another way that I can think of to approach that situation. Just, you know, keep it in the back of my mind. Uh, it's also to, you know, remember some of the key storylines from different phases of the season that, you know, we just may have forgotten by the end of the year, uh, which can help inform my prep. You know, when, when Sean Dursey was just starting, um, let's say, you know, he, he, his first couple games, we thought, and Zach, you can attest to this. We thought, Oh, you know, this is a nice little call up and, you know, he'll be sent back down. And it's nice to remember that that was the mood at the time when he was called up or with the media covering the Kings of, Oh, you know, the Kings have a whole ton of injuries and, oh, here's this defenseman. Uh, you know, he'll last a couple of games. I'll get him a look and then he'll go back to Ontario. Well, he never left. <laughs> he never got sent back down. So it, it'll be fun to revisit that when, you know, w- whether it's next season or when he's here for, you know, five, six years and think about when he first came up, there was no, absolutely no prediction from anybody involved that he would be a mainstay and a key member of the team that brought them to the playoff run. Um, but going back and seeing those first couple games and remembering 
what the what the mood was like at the time, I think is important for revisiting later on. I, when I'll, I I don't mind admitting when I'm wrong. Uh, when Jared Shaffron started with the team, uh, started covering mm-hmm. the Ontario Reign, he asked mm-hmm. me. I think he might have asked Zach as well. Uh, but he was getting lay of the land, trying to figure out who was who, what the depth chart was, and asked me if I thought Sean Dursey had a chance at a call-up. And prior to the injuries, not only did I say no, I think I laughed before I said no. Like, it was an absurd – it was just like, no, no, he doesn't. He's a nice guy. I really like him. I'm rooting for him. He's got a good good game. But, like, no, there's, right. there's no chance. And, yeah, I can't even imagine the team last year without him. Exactly. And then I think just – that's not even something that I could research, right? That's not something that would have been printed in a press clipping. Right. That's going back and just revisiting what was the tenor of of the the room or even the team at the time. And, and again, you know, circling back to your original question about having a narrator versus just watching the game, I bet your experience seeing the emergence of a young player like Sean Dursey or anybody else, any of the rookies who came up with the team last year would have been measurably different if not for the narrator at the time, whether it's me or whether it's, you know, somebody on a national call giving that, um, background. And, you know, even the goal, we're picking on Sean here, but his first game was a nationally televised game on TNT and the Kings got kicked. It was six, two or something. It was, it was bad. I think he got turnstiled by Austin Matthews, like his first shift or something, but then. By the end of the game, uh, there he is scoring his first NHL goal and his family's in attendance. And what a story that was. And if you didn't have, um, you know, the again, preparation, but also the announcers telling you, oh, that's his family. Oh, they flew in just for his game. Oh, he's playing against the team he grew up rooting for in the Toronto Maple Leafs. So you didn't have that background. Would you care as much about the player? Would you, would you have as much of an emotional connection? Um, and I would venture to say no. The Dursey moment was cool. Do you, do you have one that stands out to you as like a, a moment that, that came to you in a game like that, that was most special uh, to call? Like, obviously you didn't call the Dursey one because it was, mm-hmm. it was a national game, but do you have one like that where it's like that goal, if you're watching without a broadcaster, it's just a six, two goal and a six, two loss. The lot, like it, it was irrelevant to the game, but all of the factors around it made it sick. Uh, I, I mean, I always take pride in, being there to call somebody's first NHL goal because that is a lifelong memory. Um, Jordan Spence had one this year. Uh, Arthur Kaliev had one in the middle of the pandemic. Um, and your voice is yeah. going to show up on highlight reels forever now. Well, that, that, that's helpful <laughs> too. Uh, so like, oh, I, we, we can cut this up. Wifey showed up in the background. <laughs> oh no, it's staying there. um but like i always i always take pride in um in being there for somebody's first career goal and uh i think you know like you said there there may just be a moment in a random game that sticks out of you know great player great save uh and that's also where you know going back through the season prior you know there are some plays that i don't even remember that wound up being pretty sick like uh, there was one that I, I watched recently. Cal Peterson made a phenomenal save in like the first minute against the Rangers at home that stood out like, Oh, wow. Okay. Um, but 
yeah, I, I think it's it's those little moments, you know. Yeah, obviously you want to be on the call for the for the big games, and we we were lucky enough to have a seven game playoff series, an overtime winner in the postseason. Like really, those are the things you dream about, right? Um, but it's even even the little moments in season that uh, that I enjoy. You ever screw up anybody's first goal, like call them the wrong name? No, thank goodness. Um, All right. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, <laughs> I hope I hope we didn't just jinx it just now. Um, <laughs> but uh, but no, I, that's uh, that's one that uh, I've actually like. I've I've been uh, really disappointed sometimes. You know, Jersey uh, had his first. Byfield had his first uh, where we weren't on the call. So, um, you know, really relish those chances. I try very hard to keep in touch with my fanhood. Um, mm. It's really easy for me to forget what it was like to be a fan of this team. It's really easy mm-hmm. to go to work, sit in the press box, and just mm-hmm. take it all for granted and treat it like a job. One of the ways that it most frequently comes flooding back to me instantly is when I'm watching a national broadcast of a Kings game and they don't know what they're talking about, and I instantly get offended, <laughs> right? And I'm like, ah, oh, you said that guy's name wrong, or you, you know, have the detail incorrect, or you're talking about, you know, oh, this guy was a total surprise. Nobody saw this coming. Yeah, exactly. like, what are you talking about? Everybody saw this coming. Um, you do both. You cover national games. You cover yeah. local games. Um, is that ever in the back of your mind? Are you trying to – because I know – the reason I ask is that I know you're very aware of the fact that you weren't here in 2012 and 2014 mm-hmm. and you don't have the option of not talking about the team that existed before you started working here. Um, and yet I know from my personal experience that there are people who uh, it gets their back up when you talk about the championship teams, even though there's no way you couldn't. Um nope. So how it's, do you... it's, it's a hard balance. It's yeah. a really hard balance to strike um, because there might be a fan who just picked up the game three years ago, four years ago, for whatever reason, you know, it, and it happens all the time, right? You know, you bring somebody to their first hockey game, regardless of whether the team's in a Stanley Cup, you know, winning year or not, and they just fall in love with it. And they're a fan now. And they may not have the background. And I don't think it's fair to then resent that fan for not being here when there were two championships. Um, just the same as it would be unfair to, um, you know, say that I, I, I'm not allowed to talk about those teams, even though somebody else is going to have far more intimate knowledge and appreciation for what they did for hockey in Los Angeles, hockey in Southern California for Kings fans who waited a, an eternity to to reach that summit. It has to be done. And I think, you know, what you brought up about, you know, when I go on to a national call, uh, sometimes less is more, right? Uh, you know, I don't need to talk about it as much, but, you know, there may be things that I'm just not intimately familiar with, but I, I'm aware of and I've, you know, done my homework on that get brought up in conversation and that's just the nature of it uh, i'm not going to apologize for doing my job um, that's just part of it where i think it's a little bit harder was especially after my first season where the team took a nosedive and all of a sudden i'm the one bringing bad news every single night 
And all we have to go on is, oh, the happy memories from the times before. And, oh, look at this prospect coming up. And, you know, we're seven games under 500 in the middle of January and it's a lost season. Well, that's, that's a really, <laughs> that, that's really challenging to, to make everybody happy <laughs> because inevitably it's an unhappy season. I'm going to, this is another long winded one coming up. So bear with me. It's going to be a roller coaster of backhanded insults. Um, one of the other difficult ways for me to maintain fandom, but also professionalism is I'm now working with people that I used to be super comfortable judging and being mean about online, <laughs> and being mean about online, right? Like whenever okay, Jesse, you can be mean to my face. I won't. Well, well, that's, I'm getting to that. Cause that's one of the reasons I love you. Um, but I mean, I, whenever someone is mean about me online, I try and remember all of the things that I had said previously in a former life about different people that would appear on telecasts or whatever. Um, but, but when you came on, I was already beyond that, right? Like I didn't, I never experienced you as a Kings fan. I've experienced you as a Kings employee and I like you very much personally. Um, and well, that's, so, that makes one. I'm, I'm <laughs> well, one. but, but this is what it I'm only getting makes at. One. <laughs> Just one. That's right. <laughs> um, but I mean, I Just have. Kidding. I have been, uh, I have seen both compliments and criticisms of your game. And one of the criticisms that I defend you harshly on is there is the, and it's not just you, it's anybody who works in your line of work. The idea that it's mostly artifice, that it's a, that it's a performance, not genuine. And one of the reasons I love you is that it, I know for a fact, it's not artifice. It's not, I mean, you are performing, but it's not a performance. You are who you are. Um, at least when you're talking to me, um, <laughs> as, as you are on the broadcast, maybe you're, maybe I'm just a chump. Um, but I believe, and again, this is very long winded. I apologize. Uh, I believe a lot of that is cultural because Dennis Bernstein and I have a tendency to get into it with each other after games. And I know that it makes some people intensely uncomfortable when we do it. Uh, and I have to assure them that Dennis and I like each other very much, that this is just how we talk to people that we like very much. And it's easy to forget sometimes that not everybody is used to two grown men screaming at each other in a hallway about <laughs> something that doesn't really matter. Um, so how, so do you ever internalize those criticisms? And I ask because, like I said, I have received them myself and I have worked very hard to ignore them or sometimes even appreciate them if they're funny um, or, or even remotely true. Um, sorry, I'll wrap say, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, here's what I'll say. I would be lying to you if I said I didn't listen or read or care about anything that anybody said. That would be a total lie. In fact, I could probably be accused of caring too much sometimes and letting it impact my work negatively and impact my outlook negatively, uh, which then bleeds into, you know, my, uh, <laughs> uh, my brand of cynicism and, uh, and whatnot. So what the balance that I've had to strike is recognizing that there is so much passion for this team um, and understand that that is 
just a function of how much people care about the team and not a personal attack on me. And I, it took a little while for me to, to, to see that because, you know, you can't ignore the negative stuff. But I also have, you know, become better at appreciating the positive um, and getting to meet people in person. I've, I've only once met a person who would have the gumption to say it to my face that they don't like me. Only once since coming to Los Angeles. Um, and even then it was like, okay, good on you. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what? I, I can respect that. At you kind of got to respect that at that point. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, so for, you know, any, you know, anybody who, um, you know, you can have an opinion and I can, I'll, I'll, you know, take it into account because, you know, I, I'm, tr- I'm in the business of, uh, pleasing people, right? I'm in the business of entertainment. You want people happy with your product at the end of the day, because if they're happy with it, then they watch more frequently. If they watch more frequently, the ratings are better. If the ratings are better, then, uh, some regional sports network or some other rights holder will pay more for the product. Everybody's salary goes up. The salary cap goes up. It's all good, right? It's all interconnected. So I want people to be happy with our show, with our work, um, at the end of the day. But I also have to be authentic. And the, the minute that I'm no longer authentic to you or to myself, might as well quit. And like I said, that's why I love you. Uh, you got, and part of, uh, I remember the day that I started being impressed, and it was the pre uh, state of the franchise event, your first year. Mm-hmm. And you, I don't think you would even call the game yet, right? Because it was in the off season. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And you were on stage with Luke Robitz. I think Luke was there that first time, right? Was he not? Yeah, probably. I mean, I, the but it was like Jim Fox, Luke Robitz. It was like a bunch of right. guys, easily 20, 30, 40 years older than you, some of them in the Hall of Fame, in front of a room full of people who didn't know who you were, didn't care who you were, weren't there to see you. And you, I thought you handled it great. Um, that You got thrust into an incredibly difficult situation, replacing somebody that was almost universally beloved oh, don't pump my tires i've heard that i don't know how many times <laughs> i'm sure but uh so that was the specifics of that situation but even removing the specifics of specifics of that situation you know had you come up with a seattle kraken that had never had a voice of before um imposter syndrome is a very real thing and for those who are unaware imposter syndrome is the persistent inability to believe that one's success is deserved or has been legitimately achieved as a result of one's own efforts or skills. Do you, I mean, I refuse to believe that you don't suffer from that because I think we all do a little bit, but how do you, how do you cope with it? Uh, I, you're correct in that. I definitely felt that um, more so as that first year went along. I think the whole thing was a blur to begin with. Um, and then, you know, more and more go on, especially again, when times were not, were not good for the team, uh, you start to think like, you know, man, like, I don't, you know, I can't do a good enough job at, um, you know, trying to, you know, convey positives or to, to, to just call this game on a, you know, cause it's, it's not good. It's, uh, it's not fun. Right. Um, you know, I'll be perfectly honest in those moments and just say, sometimes it's just not, um, you know, and it, just like for a fan watching, it's not fun when, uh, when things aren't going your way. Um, but I think 
stepping out and just again acknowledging that you can be yourself um and having people accept that this is just who you are um is a huge help it, i've been very fortunate i've been incredibly fortunate to have the backing of the organization from day one um and they believed in me and said that you're our guy you're the guy that we wanted and we picked you know we we hired you specifically for this skill set and we want you to use that skill set and we we understand that you're not going to be a finished product when you get here and you're going to have to learn and grow and we expect that you're going to do that uh, otherwise this isn't going to work and uh, i would hope that over the last 5 years i've learned and grown a lot uh and that's helped reduce that feeling of uh do i actually deserve to be here um the other thing i'd say to that of being around other people who are in the hall of fame this is going to sound really weird jesse but i don't care uh i don't care if somebody's in the hall of fame i'm i'm never in the business of kissing the ring put that way if you're a good person to work with and if you're um you know if you have a if we have a good rapport just by shaking hands and looking each other in the eye i don't care about all the things you did or all the accomplishments that you have and that may sound really crass but i love working with luke robotai cuz he's a great guy to work with not cuz he's in the hall of fame not cuz he has a statue outside staples center um like you know I, i don't i don't care about um you know all these things i'll respect it um i'll respect you know that you played the game and i did and that you uh have achieved great things and can can uh, tell me about the nuances of the game that I'll never understand because you plied your trade with your own hands and feet um and brain but I will I'm not going to go and and defer to you at all times because I'm in my position for a reason you hired me to, to be in this role and and um you know I, I hope again I hope that doesn't come across as being crass or disrespectful but I feel like in order to do my job um i need to be able to confidently um hold my own with whoever i'm standing next to alex you held your own at an uh, open bar night at the horton room in utica so after that <laughs> you can hold your own just about in any setting uh. <laughs> oh yeah and the horton family who were there <laughs> yeah yeah alex jim has said i don't know if you've heard it or not but he said uh to me uh that he believes that you are if not the among the best when a moment happens um when a goal happens or a big moment happens i can't remember the exact turn of phrase he used but um he he talked about the genuine excitement in your voice and the pitch and the tenor and the pacing and all and the whole thing and I happen to agree with him um the goal that Tofoli scored in Boston with whatever it was 0.4 seconds left on the clock or whatever is the clip that I always constantly go back to because the reaction was just so perfect uh but now I want you to say something nice about Jim Oh Jim he is uh family to me and I I think I've said this before but um for those who don't know um my first year in LA um me and my uh then fiance now wife um we couldn't move here together uh she had to stay behind in Connecticut for work and when i moved to la i had virtually no friends no family here 
basically by myself in a very you know intimidating market. Um, How old were you? Sorry, just a to... twenty-seven. Okay. So this is you know life changing, um, in a variety of ways. But like I, I didn't have much of anybody here. So Jim and and his wife um, Susie basically took me in as family. I would go to their house. Uh, I don't know how many times that first year just for dinner, um, and just to get to know them. And uh, you know they've they've become like close family. Uh, we consider them like close family at this point. And I don't think when when I. <laughs> I have to I have to laugh sometimes when I see people who say Alex and Jim don't get along. And like, do you have any clue? Um, you know, it's it goes so much deeper than just the professional relationship that we have and us being able to push one another to um, you know, to to elevate our work, um, to to elevate the show that we work on. Um, you know, the 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 dedication required for that goes way beyond that to, um, you know, personal gratitude I have for what, uh, what he and, and Susie have meant to, to me and, and my wife, Carolyn. Um, because if, if not for them, I would not have survived here in LA. I'll be perfectly honest. And, uh, for that, I will be forever grateful. The amount of value, not just value is not even a good enough word for it, but I'll, the the amount that Nick and Jim and Daryl bring to the organization, not just as employees, not just at their job, but like as human beings, um, as models of professionalism. And, you know, it's it, I, I really wish that's one of the things I learned that I wish more fans could understand is what those yeah. guys actually mean to the, the community, for lack of a better word. It, it, there's a there's a great deal of humanity in our group that uh, I don't think um, and we don't like to you know we, we don't like to toot our own horn um, you know with regard to uh, you know that sort of thing we just do it we, we just we, we try to be kind to one another and um, be the utmost professionals we can be and that's that we don't view it as doing anything special but uh, it you know it doesn't go unnoticed to me at least um, I don't know to others but to me at least of, of the amount of humanity in our group um, and the amount of appreciation we share for one another, um, you know, and, and I think, uh, it, it's a, a large reason why we get along so well, uh, on air, um, you know, that like we, we are so comfortable around one another that, uh, you know, there's never any consideration for, um, you know, like, you know, somebody says something or somebody does something or somebody's been around longer or not. Like, you know, I, <laughs> those three would have every um, right to um, keep me out of a little click, right? If that were the case, because I'm still the newbie relative to all of them. But um, they've welcomed me with open arms from day one and have never looked back. Before we go, I'm going to get one final one in here. Is there anything that you were most surprised by now? What is it? Five years, six years in? Is there anything that you wish you could go back and tell Alex on day one that you never would have expected? Don't worry so much. 
uh, it'll all work out. Um, I think there's a lot of worry of uh, what's going to happen. You know, like it's a, you know, I'm six years in. This is my uh, role now. Uh, I don't have to look over my shoulder. I don't have to worry so much about um, how things were done before. Um, you know, all I'm focused on is, um, moving forward. What, how is the, what is the best way that, uh, we can present the game every single night? Um, how can we bring uh, our best to bear every single night? Um, so, you know, now it's, it's, and it goes back even to talking about, you know, how do you, how do you want to be received by people? Um, you know, don't worry, it'll all work out. I thought you were going to say, don't read the LA Kings insider comment section. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I learned that very quickly. Um, no, I, but you know what? People care. That's honestly, if, and I've told you both this in private, I don't know how many times. The thing that will always gain my respect is when people care. When people stop caring, that's a huge problem. That's a huge red flag to me. Uh, apathy is the worst possible thing you can have when working for a professional sports franchise, you want people to care. Fans are your lifeblood. If they're not caring, you're in trouble. And uh, we're very lucky that we have a really, really dedicated fan base that cares a lot about every single move that the organization makes and every single game that they play during the regular season. It's uh, quite the privilege to have that. I don't think I could have put it any better. Uh, Alex Faust, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me.